What was the real Heber C. Kimball like? Bishop Earl and I are going to talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? The people who were involved with Joseph Smith in the founding of the early Mormon church are generally held in high yes. esteem by LDS and by polygamists. I know they were in, in my growing <laughs> oh, up in a polygamist home. And, yeah. And they just hold them up in 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 huge, you know, godly godly men. But very few in Mormonism have ever actually learned the true story of some of these men and women. And uh, what they do know is the whitewashed, bigger than life, holier than thou version yeah. of some of these Mormon pioneers. So we're going to present some interesting information about some of the these uh, early pioneers to our viewers, and and so you'll have the real story behind the mythical person. And so this time we're going to start off with, to present the real man behind the myth, Heber C. Kimball. Now, Kimball is definitely a Mormon name. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Spencer yeah. Kimball was right. the 12th president of right. the Mormon church, and he was deeply loved by many of the LDS, most of them I'd say. And he carried the Kimball name um, proudly, and he was the grandson of Heber C. Yeah. Kimball. Yeah. Kimball Junction is a geographical location in Utah, and it's named after Heber C. Kimball. Now, Heber Kimball is memorialized like this, and it is a condensed memora memorialization. <laughs> yeah, this is actually from the Joseph Smith Papers. Mm -hmm. They listed this uh, about, jo about Heber C. Kimball, that he was an LDS pioneer, a missionary, an apostle, a counselor to LDS prophet Brigham Young. He was a member of the Nav Nauvoo Masonic Lodge participated in plural marriage during Joseph Smith's lifetime, served a mission to eastern U.S. in 1843. He labored on the Nauvoo Temple. He was admitted to the Council of Fifty on 11 March of 1844, joined the exodus from Illinois to Iowa, the Iowa Territory, in February of 1846. He was a member of Brigham Young's Pioneer Company to Salt Lake Valley that arrived July of 1847. He was sustained as the first counselor to Brigham Young in the first presidency at what became Council Bluffs, Pottawatomie County, Iowa, on 27 December of 1847. He was elected lieutenant governor in provisional state of Deseret. He served in the Utah Territorial Legislature, and he died in Salt Lake City. So reading this, we think that he was just a superhero, a superhuman, a uh, super saint. Must have been a good in, guy. <laughs> in the Mormon world, and he is. But in the real world, he was a stinker. He was a misogynist, and he was a patriarchal bore. Now, Joseph Smith copied uh, Jesus Christ in some of his organizational strategies, which included gathering 12 apostles around him. And Joseph Smith selected what he called his 12, and in the order of selection, Heber C. Kimball was the third. third one. In fact, Kimball reportedly referred to himself as a third person of Joseph Smith's trinity. Now, Heber <laughs> Kimball and Orson Hyde were chosen to declare the Mormon religion in Europe, in 1837, they left together on their mission trip um, to England. Now, in those days, Mormon missionaries were, were grown men, mature, often married. Yeah. Uh, they weren't the naive, immature 18-year-old boys that you see 
being sent out today to, right. for more emissions. But while they were in England, there was a new convert named Thomas Webster who was baptized into the Mormon church. But he said, uh, Webster said it wasn't long before he saw through their counterfeit claims, their failed miracles and other pretensions. And so he renounced the Mormon faith. He then published a pamphlet exposing the methods and the outlandish claims many Mormon missionaries were making, Heber C. Kimball among them. We quote some of what Thomas Webster revealed. Okay. He relates many of the declarations made by the first missionaries in Preston to their ignorant hearers. Hyde declared that the apostles Peter, James, and John were still alive. He and Kimball asserted that neither of them would taste death before Christ's second coming. Hmm, failed prophecy. Mm -hmm. At one meeting, Kimball predicted that in 10 or 15 years, the sea would be dried up between Liverpool and America. Oops. One of the most <laughs> glaring things they ever brought before the public, says Webster, was stated in a letter written by Orson Hyde to the brethren in Preston, saying they were on their way to the promised land in Missouri by hundreds, and the wagons reached a mile in length. They fell in with some of their brethren in Canada who told them the Lord had been raining down manna in rich profusion, which covered from seven to ten acres of land. It was like wafers dipped in honey, and both saints and sinners partook of it. I was present in the pulpit when this letter was read. So you can see some of the things that they would be preaching to the potential converts there in Europe. How totally they, outlandish. Yeah, <laughs> how they deceived them. And worse, they implicated God in their deceit. Now, Joseph Jackson is another character who got involved with Joseph Smith, and he observed the trickery that Joseph Smith and his close friends used. He wrote this. He, Joseph Smith, then commenced an argument to make me believe that this was right and lawful in the sight of God, and declared himself a godly man and a prophet endowed with power from on high. I then told him that I was a desperate man and could release Orrin Porter Rockwell, who was at the time confined in prison in Missouri for his attempt on the life of Governor Boggs. Well, said he, if you will release Porter and kill old Boggs, I will give you $3,000. Kimball heard this conversation throughout, but I have no hope that he could be made to acknowledge its truth so deeply as he leagued with Joe in his villainy. So Heber Kimball was privy to, to much of the conversations and much of what Joseph Smith did, right. uh, which would make him just as much of a scoundrel as Joseph Smith was. Now, in Utah, he came west after Joseph yeah. Smith was killed. He came west with Brigham Young, and next to Brigham Young, uh, he was next to him in the authority of power in the church and was also his close friend and his confidant yeah. and his counselor. Okay. Now, Jedediah Grant was another close confidant of Joseph Smith. He had a total of seven wives and 11 children. Jedediah once said that if Brigham Young wanted to marry all his wives, he would give them to him without a grumble, and then invited Brigham to take his wives whenever he wanted to. But Heber C. Kimball would not be outdone by Grant. <laughs> Heber C. Kimball felt only too happy to follow in the wake of Grant. He used the most disgusting vituperatives for which he was noted and indulged in unheard of accusations. He declared to the people that Brigham Young was his God and their God and the only God they would ever see if they did not obey him. Joseph Smith was God to the inhabitants of the earth when he was amongst us and Brigham is God now. 
Whoa. <laughs> Very bold. <laughs> Whoa, I guess. Now, to discover the true character of a person, it's good to talk with people who know him, yeah. who know them, and, and who may be closely connected to him or his family or his habits and friends. And that's not difficult in Mormonism's very closed communities, which they were in those days. Everyone knew everybody else's business and most of their secrets. And this include included Fanny Stenhouse, who was a Mormon, and she lived among them in Utah during that time. And she wrote a book about them, and it wasn't flattering. This is what she said about her first introduction to Heber C. Kimball. Yeah, this is from a book, Tell It All, page 341. <coughs> I had both heard and read a great deal about Brother Heber, and what I had learned was <coughs> not at all of a character to impress me favorably. He had been so severe in his denunciation of every woman who dared to oppose polygamy. On the present occasion, his conduct was, I thought, anything but gentlemanly, and when we crossed the road to him, my face must have betrayed my feelings, I'm sure, for almost his first words after shaking hands were, have you got the blues? My answer was ready in a minute. Uh, in a moment. I've had nothing else ever since I came here. <laughs> so she was honest right back with him. Yeah. Uh, and, and Heber had a little respect for females. He often treated them and referred to them as mere property. Yeah. Uh, to, they were to be purchased or traded or allocated for something of equal value. We have an explanatory quote like this from another book about uh, the pioneer um, Mormon, women of Mormonism. Yeah. A book, Woman of Mormonism, <laughs> Chapter 2. We do not know how we can better describe the estimation in which women is held, which woman is held among the Mormons than by quoting from one of their prophets, the late Heber C. Kimball. His common expression for them was his cows. And when exhorting the brethren to live their religion, as they sacrilegiously termed going into polygamy, he would say, I think no more of taking another wife than I do of buying a cow. And if you want to build up the kingdom, you must take more wives. The expression build up the kingdom has a dual meaning, one referring to the temporal welfare of the church, the other to personal celestial glory. The more wives and children a man has, the greater will be his glory in the celestial kingdom. And the larger his family, the greater power and strength he adds to the organization here. Hence, men are constantly being urged by the leaders to build up the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> These and other quotes are certain indications, of course, that women were treated as mere commodity in yeah. early Mormon communities. Especially if they transfer or take them, pass them between pass them each around, other. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and promise them to each other and yeah. refer to them as cows, you know. As, uh, and many Mormon polygamous communities today treat their women, they don't treat them any better. Mm -hmm. And as for building up the kingdom, my goodness, we heard that all the while we were growing up uh, to, to uh, build up the kingdom. And of course, in doing that, what you do to build up the kingdom is have plural wives, have lots and lots of children, and of course, accrue lots and lots of money. <laughs> That's building up the kingdom. And we, we have to ask, where did Jesus ever teach such nonsense as that? In her expose on polygamy, Mrs. Stenhouse met Kimball at one of the dances or the balls that, that the Mormons often held. Kimball offered to introduce her to his wife. This is what happened. Everyone liked Heber for his outspoken, honest bluntness. He took me up the hall and introduced me to five wives in succession. <laughs> now, said he, I think I'll quit. For I fancy you are not over strong in the faith. 
I asked, are these all you have got? Oh dear, no, he said. I have few more at home, and about fifty more scattered over the earth somewhere. I've never seen them since they were sealed to me in Nauvoo, and I hope I never shall again. Hmm. I thought this was terrible, but it was only the beginning of worse things. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you can imagine, with remarks like that, what would polygamy must have been like to those early Mormon women? Yeah, they must have felt so inferior and just like property. Yeah, 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 just talk to like that. I, I've got 50 more wives scattered somewhere, and I hope I never see them again. Wow, what, what, is that what heaven is really like? Uh, and Heber C. Kimball echoed Brigham Young's declaration that denying the plural plurality of wives would result in sure damnation for everyone who denied it. Hmm. And of course he encouraged more of the young Mormon men to take wives of they called them the daughters of Zion rather than waiting for us old men to take them all, he said. <laughs> well, Heber Kimball had 43 wives and depending on the list you look at, other lists says Even he has more. 45 wives. Um, but he and Brigham uh, when Joseph Smith died, they both uh, swooped in on the, the plural widows of Joseph Smith um, and um, married several of them. Each of them married several of those widows. Now, since Kimball was first counselor to Brigham Young and second in Mormon power, he was included in the meetings and the decisions and the implementation of administrative activities and policies, including general practice and problems of the plurality of wives. Uh, she tells of the time when Heber Kimball warned their missionaries not to bring home as plural wives the women that they took a fancy to while they were away on their missions. Now remember, there was the mature men, married men usually, right. that, that went, so if they brought home wives, they would be plural wives. Yeah. All the while they were preaching that they didn't live polygamy, right? Of course. In fact, Heber Kimball said they were even prohibited from proposing marriage while they're away on their missions. We have a quote. Yeah, from page 202 in Tell It All. In the language of Heber C. Kimball, Brigham's first counselor, they were not to pick out from the flock the young, fair, and tender lambs, but were to bring them all safely home to Zion. <laughs> So we can pick them out. So we can pick for ourselves. We all have yeah. an equal chance, he right. says, yeah. to pick out these plural wives. You can't take all the pretty ones for yourself. He said, right. we won't allow you to do that. Well, uh, Fanny Stenhouse also writes that Brigham Young, with his two counselors, Heber Kimball and Jedediah Grant, were both spoken of as model saints. Each of them had very little education, and one time in the tabernacle, she said, quote, in the most unmeasured language, they spoke against schools and scholastic achievement. She described the three men as persons of small mind who have not themselves received any education and hated and despised those who had. They must have felt intimidated around people. Maybe that's who, why we don't have a Kimball University. <laughs> but they have a Brigham Young University. <laughs> that's true. And, and he was among them. Anyway, you're right. Maybe that's why. Well, Fanny describes the insult of the endowment ceremony and which was a required part of a faithful and loyal Mormon couple, and still is. Now, I don't know if the endowment ceremony is different now than it was then. We'd have to compare. Oh, gosh, I'm sure it is. It's, I mean, it's everything else has changed, so yeah, why wouldn't that? It's changed a number of times. It was longer, and I think they actually walked into a garden. 
Yeah, it was longer, all right. Yeah, yeah. This it's... next quote, Heber C. Kimball speaks to the ladies in one of these, and she explains that it was really quite insulting to her. <laughs> yeah, she calls it the second phase of the ceremony. We were next entertained by a long address from the Apostle Heber C. Kimball. Never in my life, except from Brigham Young, had I listened to such disgusting language, <laughs> and I trust I never shall be compelled to listen to anything like it again. Brother Kimball always used to pride himself upon using plain language, but that day I think he surpassed himself. He seemed to take quite a pleasure in saying anything which could make us blush. The subject of which he discor discoursed was the married life in the celestial order. He also laid great stress upon the necessity of our keeping silence concerning all that we had witnessed in the endowment house. Even husbands to their wives and wives to their husbands were not to utter a single word. So that secrecy goes way back there as uh, well the as, yeah. as it does now. And we have to also mention here that he, he's, he discoursed the married life in the celestial order. Yeah. Now, I know Mormonism today calls the celestial marriage just marriage, a monogamous marriage for time and eternity. Right. In those days, the celestial order of marriage was polygamy. Yeah. It wasn't was monogamy. The, the same new and everlasting covenant mm -hmm. of marriage was mm -hmm. included polygamy. It was the celestial marriage. marriage. It was not monogamy. Mm -hmm. And they changed that yeah. in 1904 when, when they finally, finally for once and for all, gave polygamy. Well, uh, they started changing the definition of the word. Well, so he was talking about the necessity of keeping silence uh, about what went on in the endowment house. Well, it would be a boring conversation if you talked about it anyway, it sounds like. <laughs> Of course, people uh, uh, were rough and tough, and they had down-to-earth language yeah. and down-to-earth um, uh, manners in those days. Uh, and we can expect some down-to-earth behavior from people like this. But these Mormon men would strut around, and they talked, and they preached and pretended to be God's specially appointed prophets, that they were great men with many wives and children doing their job to build up God's kingdom. Yeah, this but is that, all about God. Yeah. yeah. Supposedly. And they were called saints, but that's not the biblical definition of saints. Orson Pratt sermonized the Mormon decree that everything a man has must be consecrated to God, but the consecration must be done through Joseph Smith, which included a man's wife or wives. To prove the point, we consider the historical event of Joseph Smith demanding that Heber Kimball give his wife over to Joseph Smith. We quote from Mormon Portraits. Yep, pages 72 and 73. Violet Kimball, the first wife of Heber C. Kimball, later the right-hand man and clown of King Brigham, and one of the most disgusting types of Mormon history, Violet was a good, pure woman. She was better than her religion, though a slave to it in a manner. She loved her husband, and he, not yet developed as the brute he later became, loved her, hence a reluctance to comply with the Lord's demand that Violet should be consecrated like the movable property of the other apostles. Still, Joseph wanted to, wanted to them was to them, I'm sorry, still Joseph was to them a prophet, and therefore the act might be right in him, though simply damnable in any other man. They thought the command of the Lord must be obeyed in some way, and a proxy way suggested itself to their minds. They had a young daughter only getting out of girlhood, and the father apologizing to the prophet for his wife's reluctance to comply with his desires, asked Joe if his daughter wouldn't do as well as his wife. Joe 
replied that she would do just as well and the Lord would accept her instead. The half-ripe bud of womanhood was delivered over to the prophet Helen Mar Whitney, this is her name now, still lives and belongs to that indefinable class of wrinkled old women only to be found in Mormonism who pride themselves in their shame in speeches and in print. She writes pamphlets on the divinity of polygamy. Other plurals do the same. It is the saddest and most disheartening kind of literature I have ever seen in any country. That's true. It still happens yeah. today. You can talk to uh, plural wives who've been in it for a long, long time, suffered greatly in it. My own mother was the same way. And, and they had nothing. To, they defended it and preached it. And it's, it's just like they, they really must believe it. And they want their daughters to grow up into it and, mm -hmm. and be, be yeah. subservient. And, and then there's some women who don't want their daughters to go through what they went through, and they'll get out before the daughters are old enough. Proud of them. It's funny how different <laughs> the people are in this. Well, they see the, what they're going through and what yeah. they went through, yeah. and they don't want them to suffer the same way. Yeah. So after giving instruction on building God's kingdom and, and having many wives and lots of children, Kimball threatened his listeners with this. This is from the Journal of Discourses. If you trifle with me when I tell you the truth, you will trifle with Brother Brigham. And if you trifle with him, you will also trifle with angels and with God, and thus you will trifle yourselves down to hell. <laughs> So there they are, the threat of hell. It always ends up with the yeah. threat of hell. That's the only option that these patriarchal polygamists gave to their Mormon followers was obey blindly or go down to hell. And, and we read that threat over and over again in, in, in my research yeah. and I read some of these He's things. They, they threaten hell. They threaten, and of course I was growing up. It's the same thing. Yeah. When I was growing up, they threatened either do it our way or go to hell. Um, <clears throat> Kimball was known by most acquaintances to be coarse and plain-spoken, as we said. And so speaking in the tabernacle, November of 1856, he defined the duty of <laughs> polygamous wives. Also from the Journal of Discourses and the Deseret News, it is the duty of a woman to be obedient to her husband. And, unless she is, I would not give a damn for all her queenly right or authority, nor for her either, if she will quarrel and lie about the work of God and the principles of plurality. So there you are. Do it and shut up. <laughs> yeah. Don't say a word. He was described by some people as being kind and pious and godly, but by others he was depicted as being coarse and rude and caring little for females' feelings or their failures. For some of his remarks, and from some of his remarks that we've quoted here, I'd have to agree that he would be in the latter category yeah. than the former. The next quote more or less confirms the conclusion. Yeah, this is written by Bill Hickman, maybe, I'm not sure. Oh no, by J.H. Uh, Beadle. A religion which makes it the chief hope of its devotee to crush his opponents, not to convert or soften and unite with them, can produce but one class of fruits, hatred, malice, and all uncharitableness, strife, animosity against all who dissent. Hence the Mormons' bitter hatred of apostates. Other churches pray for the backslider. The Mormon curses them with hideous blasphemy. Said Heber Kimball, I do pray for my enemies. I pray God Almighty to damn them. Whoa, whoa. Now that's a prayer, that's that, a prayer. that God will never hear, never, yeah. certainly never answer. Jesus said, the Bible says that 
that if we pray according to his will, he will hear yeah. us. And if he hears us, we know he'll answer. But Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Yeah. So we know that God's not going to hear this because that's not his will to pray that he damns them. And, and, and again, I have to say, is this a saint? <laughs> Would this make a legitimate saint? Yeah. And, God. <laughs> yeah, and, and as we finish up our compilation of some of Heber C. Kimball's not so well-known efforts in the early Mormon church, an obvious question is, can this be the way that God has set up his kingdom for real? Yeah. Does God show a special favor to men and, and, and is so uncaring and unloving towards the female species, which makes up 50% of humanity, that he requires polygamy or be damned? The foundation of Mormonism is Joseph Smith's claim of a restoration, polygamy, endowments, temple activity, and secrecy. These do not describe a restoration of any historical teaching of God. Now, in fact, Jesus confirmed monogamy. He warned against taking oaths and against secretive behavior. So we have to conclude that much of what Mormonism and polygamists teach are opposite of what Jesus taught. And, and we've done shows, you know, oh, yeah. where we've compared the two. Sure. Um, it's amazing that the polygamists and the LDS do not recognize this, that they teach exactly the things that Jesus taught against. It's just amazing just, once you're in that kind of mentality that you just are either brainwashed or you just aren't thinking or whatever it is. But. It, it makes me wonder, like did that show what several weeks ago um, why do they believe what Jesus taught against something like that and like when Jesus says that God created two for marriage yeah not three or more and and then where he says there's no marriage in heaven and all those things and and no one has come down from heaven but the son of man um, all of this is against Mormon doctrine yeah and yet, they do, don't they read the New Testament? Do they see it? Do, what does it take to open up their eyes to see the opposing views of what Jesus taught with what they believe? They're probably just listening to their leaders more than doing their studying mm -hmm. out of the Bible. They're I think just so. Listening and getting regurgitated that same message all the time. And yeah. like you say, if they don't obey, they'll go to hell. So there's always that threat. There's of, always that threat. Always that yeah. threat. Yeah. And they can't think, if they read a passage and they go, wait a minute, that doesn't, that's not what I've been taught. They will take what they've been taught and interpret the Bible according to that rather than what it's actually saying. Especially the Bible. Yeah. Uh -huh. Especially right. the Bible. Yeah. The name of Jesus is the only name by which we must be saved. Joseph Smith, Mormonism, polygamy, LDS, Kingston's uh, polygamy group, all of that, no other name uh, will, will add to or enhance your salvation, and they are all useless. So including all the teachings that we've read today of Heber C. Kimball and of Mormonism's requirements are totally useless and should be rejected. I like the idea of having dry ground between Liverpool and America. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll talk about this on the next show, but time is the enemy of a false prophet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Earl. You, you know, the name of our program is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And it was taken from a Bible verse from 1 John, which expresses the wonderment of God's love to us, asking the question, Behold, uh, what love the Father has shown us by calling us His children. His children are those who believe in and trust His Word, those who receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. The love God showed us by dying on the cross for our sins was beyond the comprehensive capacity of John, 
the disciple who wrote that passage. How can such love of God possibly include and demand the concept of polygamy, where a man is so torn for resources, he neglects his own flesh and blood in the name of salvation, V-I-A, polygamy. Polygamy is not the demonstration of the love of God. His love toward us was demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ, and no doctrine of polygamy can ever stand equal with the demonstration of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.